0: Anyway, okay, so I'm going to pray for the boxes and then we will jump into the message this morning. Lord, thank you so much for all those who uh, have put in the time and the effort and the, and the funds to, to fill these boxes. Lord, we first of all just uh, pray that you would bless them, that uh, the, the joy that they could receive in uh, giving something to those who have so very little. Uh, Lord, just pray that you would uh, just encourage those who have given and that uh, uh, they would be motivated to continue to give uh, because of how you uh, just care for them and bless them in that uh, and just the reality that when we serve others, we get served in return. Uh, But Lord, we also pray for each one of these individual boxes that are heading off to uh, places around the world, uh, to kids who uh, have very little and uh, who are going to be getting a gift this Christmas season. And we just thank you for the opportunity that each of these boxes have to share your love to these kids around the world. Lord, I pray that each kid that uh, opens up these boxes and the millions of other boxes that will be heading around the world, that they would... um, uh, just have a tangible, uh, be able to experience a tangible expression of your love for them. That as they open these uh, these boxes, that there would be miracles, things that they thought, and, and there's no way that uh, it's going to be in this box. There's no way they know me, or that this box knows me, or and, but then it has the exact thing that they're hoping for, or they're wishing for, or they need at that moment. And so, Lord, we just pray uh, that your will be done in all of that. Um, Where we look forward to seeing and hearing the amazing stories uh, that come out every year of how you have just uh, designed this box ministry to bless people around the world. And we just look forward to hearing those stories. For your glory, in Jesus' name, amen. All right. So we've been uh, uh, working uh, in the garden for some time now. Um, But back in the first message in the series, Where i was introducing the concept of the garden that we step through the door of christ into the garden of god's presence Um, one of the warnings that i gave in the garden in our way of perceiving and interacting in the garden is a warning about a a linear perspective of our journey through the garden that, that That there is, we have to be careful with uh, the discipleship programs that try to force us all into the same mold, that try to say that there's just one way and one path to go through the garden. Uh, that that that, that's because one person has experienced uh, uh, joy or pleasure or or, uh, amazing uh, things from uh, the journey that they've been on, that now everybody else should go on that same journey, that everyone should go on that same path. Uh, And I warned against that because it's important that we we recognize that when we enter the presence of God, the garden of God's presence, it's not about follow the leader. It's about the reality that we're following Jesus, who is the leader, and that we would recognize that each of us have a unique relationship with God and that Jesus is going to lead us down a unique path through this journey in the garden. And so we need to recognize that and be careful of that. But on the other side of that coin is a danger as well. And that danger is that we are in the garden alone. To think that we are in the garden alone. To think that we are going to do this our way and only our way. To think that there's no one else there to help us or there's other people there, but they're actually either my enemy or my competition or whatever. and And so we have no relationships with the rest of the people in the garden. This is a dangerous perspective as well. And it's a a, a perspective of independence. And and it's one that our culture, American culture, certainly likes to promote. The idea that we can do it, you know, my way. That I can do it on my own. I don't need anyone else. I I can do this, right? It's kind of the uh, mindset of our culture oftentimes, this independent mindset. But we as Christians gravitate to that independence as well. We, we think that we can do it ourselves. I don't need anyone else. I can, I can do it on my own. And matter of fact, over the last probably 10 or 15 years, we've seen a, a lot more people, a lot more Christians who are leaving the church behind. They have become uh, upset with the church for some reason, or they don't like the church for some reason, or they just uh, basically have... have fought been in battles or conflicts that they have that have driven them out the doors and the idea that they usually come to is that you know what I don't need the church I just need Jesus and so there's this Jesus and me concept perspective that you know what I I, as long as I have Jesus then I can make my life you know I can make it through this journey of life and this journey in the presence of God's uh, uh, the journey through the pathways of God's presence but that is not true because the reality is, is God calls us to community. He calls us to be dependent on one another. We, we need each other. We, we can't just survive in this world without each other. And nowhere in Scripture does it say or promote Jesus and me. Right? It's, it's always once you become a Christian, you are in the family of God. You are drawn into the family of God. You are part of the body of Christ. And so Jesus in me just doesn't work. And in a sense, I'm preaching to the choir here in a sense, because if you're in the room, you're probably not living this way, right? You're you're recognizing the value of community. But we need to be reminded of that, especially when times get tough in the church. But we are called, actually, to community. And part of this is that God is telling us that we are actually better together together then we are apart Ecclesiastes four nine and 10, familiar verses, I'm sure to many of you, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. for if they fall, one will lift up his fellow, but woe to him who is alone when he falls and has, an, has not another to lift him up. The idea is that you know we're better together, we can help each other, we can get on together better. and there's. One, at least one, or there's two areas that I want to draw this out of community and where we need community this morning. The first is that of wisdom. We need each other's wisdom. The, the Jesus and me perspective says, well, I can hear the voice of God on my own. So God can direct me personally wherever I go or whatever he wants me to do. But with that perspective, what we don't, what they don't recognize is that we don't have all of the wisdom we need by ourselves. There is something about the community that God has set up so that we need each other. We need, to help us, we need people to help us discern what God's will is for us. It's not just simply me and Jesus. We need to listen, certainly, and and, and allow the Lord to speak to us and discern his voice where he's directing us individually. But we also need to do that in community. We need to engage with the community and invite them into that conversation. Allow them to give perspective as well because God also speaks to other people to us or through other people to us. Matthew, uh, this passage in Matthew 18, verse 20 is very interesting. It's Jesus speaking to his disciples, and he says, If two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. You have to ask the question, why is it two? Right? Why is it two if two people agree? Why not just one? Why not just me in my own prayer time? Why do I have to have someone else agree with me? Can't it just be me? I agree that this is a good thing, that I win the lottery and have lots of money. I mean, why is that not what, how this works? It's because God calls us into community. And it's in community that we are able to better discern the will of God. And he will do the things that are his will. And when we understand what his will are in com- is in community, then we can pray for those things, and those things will come about. Wisdom comes with many voices. Proverbs 15, 22, Without counsel, plans fail, but with many advisors, they succeed. So we see that God has set it up in this world that when we... Uh, as individuals are living and journeying through this world that we are to do this in community and that when we do it in community we are better off and we have more wisdom and more discernment so as a result we must resist and reject the perspective of Jesus and me and instead engage in community we need to invite others into our pathway Back to the garden illustration, as we're walking down the pathway, we're not following someone else down a pathway that we're walking, we're following Jesus. However, there are other people who are following Jesus that are walking down the same pathway as us, and they are not our competition. They're not there trying to defeat us or beat us to the prize. They are our partners in this. And so we need to engage in that conversation, that as we're journeying through this garden of God's presence along these amazing pathways that God leads us, that we would recognize our others' brothers and sisters in Christ and that we would seek them out and say, tell me about your journey. Tell me what your, your perspective, tell me what's going on in your life. Or These are the challenges I'm having. Have you had any opportunities to defeat those challenges in your life, right? That we would do this together and journey together. So we can do this in just a personal sense and in a corporate sense on a Sunday morning as we interact and gather together, but we can also do this in a more uh, formal sense with what is called a spiritual director. spiritual director is kind of an old practice uh, that has been practiced through the ages of Christianity, but has got a renewed uh, kind of focus on it in these later days, in the last 10 years or so, Uh, spiritual directors are becoming more common. But what is a spiritual director? spiritual director is simply someone, a brother or sister in Christ that you trust and you know and that you choose or ask them to come and journey life with you. And you spend time together on a regular basis just talking about what is God doing in your life. And as you talk and tell this person about what you feel like God's doing in your life, the spiritual director is simply sitting there listening to what you have to say but also listening to what the Holy Spirit is saying to help to give you direction of where they feel like or their discernment of where God is working in your life and where you need to focus or need to work on or need to walk through. Uh, in a book called Seeking God Together by Alice Freiling, she spends a lot of time talking about spiritual direction and what it looks like. In that book, she writes this, "'The purpose of this friendship "'is not that one person directs the other, "'but that the spiritual director is a companion to the other.'" In other words, the spiritual director is not really the director. God is the director. And so the idea is that we are listening for one another, trying to discern what God's word is for an individual. We're allowing and helping, that, helping God and helping them to discern God's will and direction for their life. This idea of spiritual direction comes from a perspective that God is always at work. See, sometimes we think that God just works on us for a little while and then he takes a break and he stops working on us and then later he comes back and says, okay, it's time to do some work again, right? And and this is kind of our idea that we have. And so we go, go sometimes years of our life and we have no spiritual maturity or development in our life because we just kind of assume, well, you know, there's just been nothing or I've just been busy with other things. But we need to understand even the busyness and the chaos of life, God is always working in you. He's drawing you to himself. He's he's drawing you into change, into maturity, into deeper knowledge and understanding of him and of yourself. And so spiritual direction is the idea is that God is working in you. You don't just call on a spiritual director when you think, okay, now there's a big thing coming up, now I need a spiritual director. No, the idea is that you do this regularly throughout your life, that you have this person that is constantly listening to the Holy Spirit for you and helping you to discern where God is working today. Another danger in this garden is the danger of deception. When we're in this garden and this journey, when we when we see the others who are journeying with us, and when we see them as competition, we we can have this perspective that we need to to portray a certain image that makes them feel like you're ahead of them in the game or something, right? And, and it really comes down to the concept of perfection. That we think, okay, we're in the garden of God's perfection or God's presence, so that means we're all perfect. So every Sunday morning we show up to church, and there's sometimes this perspective that everyone in the building is perfect. That you know, well, they're Christians, right? I mean, they must be perfect. They must, you know, be doing this. And certainly, we've talked over the last couple weeks about the reality of our holiness. That we are holy because of what Christ did, not what we've done. and But we are still striving to enjoy the fullness of that holiness. But we're not there yet. That means that we're not perfect. We still sin. We still make mistakes. But when we have the perception that either the people who are around me are perfect, or the perception that I am perfect, it puts a, we, we are forced to put up a, a facade, a, a, a mask. We, we force... To live deceptively, trying to, to look like we're perfect, trying to look like we're you know towing the line, that we're playing the right role, that we're doing the right things. And this is an ugly, ugly thing in the church. The, 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 there's, it develops a culture of deception that we are striving to look like a Christian on the outside. And what does that lead to? But it leads to a life of a Pharisee, right? They were just concerned about what they looked like on the outside. But Jesus said, you are full of dead man's bones. Why? Because they didn't have any internal change. It was just an outward appearance of righteousness. It's a deception. We have a tendency then in this culture of deception to hide our sinfulness, we don't want anybody to know the skeletons in our closets. We don't want anybody to know that we've got these sin issues. We don't want anybody to know that. And so we come on Sunday and they ask us how we're doing. Oh, I'm doing great. You know, oh yeah, God is good, right? You know, we, we have this, you know, kind of d- demeanor of deception. When we may not be doing great. We may be wrestling with a big sin in our life that we can't defeat. But we are trying to portray this image of, you know, perfection, it's just not good. The tendency is also for us to see others as being perfect. And we think because they're perfect, that that drives our own deception, right? You know, because they're perfect, whoa, I, I don't want them to know how sinful I am because what will they think of me when they know that I'm just a sinner? If people knew, this is the concept, if people knew, really knew who I was, they wouldn't love me. They wouldn't accept me and they wouldn't let me keep coming to this church. But the reality is, well, before I get to the reality, let's say one more point. (laughs) We have, because of deception, what we end up with is a clean church. It's a church that's for the perfect and not the sinner. And so those who are obviously sinners, don't feel comfortable there. Those who are obvious sinners will probably not come through that, the doors of that church more than once. And we end up on a Sunday, every Sunday, is just really a masquerade where we wear our smiling faces, masks, and try to pretend like we're perfect. But now the reality, the reality is God calls us to honesty, and honesty is key to community. Honesty is how we can have that community. It's where the intimacy comes from, is that when we're honest with each other, when we're putting up facades, when we're wearing masks, when we're trying to pretend like we're something we're not, then, then there's no way for us to really get to know each other. And if we don't really get to know each other, then we can't really have an intimate relationship together. We're stuck with just kind of going through the motions. And then we are stuck with living and journeying in this garden by ourselves. Even though we may come to church every Sunday, we still are alone. Because we won't open up and let people know who we, what we're wrestling with or who we are. We need to learn how to accept and admit our failures. First John 1 John 1.8 says, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. See, the reality again is that the church is meant to be like a home. It's, we're a family of believers. This is this should be like home. And think about your own home and kids that grow up and even adults who are in families that are fairly healthy and don't have you know certain abuses that can happen in homes and unhealthy homes. If you have a healthy home, where do the kids usually act the worst? At home, right? because they know that they can act up and they're still loved, right? It's like, you know, when they're out in public, they oftentimes will kind of put on the face, right? You know, that I'm going to be a good kid right now, right? And it's now certainly, uh, all our kids, right? They make those mistakes, right? (laughs) In public as well, and usually the worst ones in public. But at home, right, they get home and and it's like sometimes they just kind of release, right? It's just like, oh, I'm home. And so then you oftentimes, after school, who gets the brunt, right? I mean, the kid's bratty attitude and all that kind of stuff. All day long, they an angel for the teacher but they get home and they're just these horrible brats right and (laughs) what you know it's true come on and and but it's not just the kids right we do this as well as adults we spend a long hard day at work and we come home right and we're tired and we're spent and we walk through the door and you know what's the first thing out of our mouth right usually not good Now that's not like honey you look beautiful today it's usually honey where's the food right or she says to me honey I'm glad you're home no she says it's about time you got home right I mean whatever it may be right we and this is what the church is to be that it would be a safe place for us to just be ourselves right and and, and it's not that we want it's not that we want this chaos right and just all this ugliness happening right because even in the home there's just those moments of time when, you know, it, it's kind of tough. The kids out, you know, they, they have those outbursts. But there's also a lot of times when that home time is just sweet. Where you just have a great time together. And and we need to be, the church needs to be a place where people can see our, our sin. They can see kind of our weaknesses and our and our kind of ugly side, and we still feel loved. Right? Sinners should feel really comfortable in a church. Not comfortable in the sense that they can continue to sin without result or no guilt, but that they can, people can know their sin, yet they still feel loved, accepted, part of the family. This is what God has designed the church to be, to be that place where the sinners can come and they can gather and they can care for each other and enjoy each other, a safe place where they can act out and no one's going to say, you hypocrite, right? Because that's what the world does, right? When we, when we fail in the world, the world points their finger and says, you hypocrite. But can we not do that here, right? Can we have a place where, oh, I made a mistake, and we know that, oh man, I've made that same mistake. Oh, it's all right, don't worry about it. We'll, we'll get by this. One of the keys to having a community that is honest is that we have to have a place for confession? See, so so often we we fight against confession. We 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 fear that we fear that if people knew again what I did wrong or what my sin is, that I'd be rejected. We we struggle even with our own perspective that of admitting that it's sin. You know, every time you confess a sin, you are admitting that it's a sin. If we don't confess it, even if your mind, you say it's, you know it's a sin, but you don't confess it, you're, you're refusing to admit that it's sin. And so the act of confessing is the act of admitting that you're a sinner and that you've sinned. But also, with that is forgiveness. But we fight against confession. We don't want to do it. We, we want to deny. But the reality is when we deny our sin, we it just increases our shame because now, in a sense, we're now living out this lie, right? Because we know it's a sin, but we we'll refuse to confess. I want to deny. No, no, I didn't do that. But then it just adds to our shame. It adds to the guilt that we feel. And also denying our sin disrupts the intimacy that we can have in relationship, right? No, it wasn't me. I didn't do that. Sin, as long as it's kept a secret, will control us. Sin is empowered by secret, by silence. But if we have the the guts and the boldness and the courage to speak it out and to confess it, sin loses its power. Many times the sins that we are battling with in our life over and over again are sins that we've never confessed. Or there will be sins that maybe we've confessed to God but we've never spoken them out loud you know the beauty beauty of our relationship with god is that he can hear our thoughts and that's a great thing and it's an awesome you know tool to have right especially when you're you know having another conversation with somebody you can pray and at the same time you're having that conversation right but but sometimes we think that that's the only way that we communicate with god right it's just through our minds that we don't speak it out unless you're a pastor right and have to come up and, and pray you know in front of people right you just, how often do you pray out loud how often do we confess out loud but more than that, how, much, how often do we confess to one another? Bonhoeffer wrote in his book, Life Together, this. He said, a man who confesses his sin in the presence of a brother knows that he is no longer alone with himself. He experiences the presence of God in the reality of the other person. As long as I am by myself in the confession of my sins, everything remains in the dark. But in the presence of a brother, the sin has to be brought into the light. There is just something about speaking something through our lips and not just through our minds. It, it changes. And... It has a power in it that it, it, we don't understand, and I think this is the way God has designed it, that, that there are some things that we just need to say. We need to get it out of our heads and make it a reality. It's like, you know, even with, well, especially with sin, like you have this sin that you battle for years and years and years, but if you never say it out, you never really recognize sometimes that it's you that's doing that sin, or you don't recognize how ugly that sin is. But once you say it, right, you know, have you ever had that where you say something out, you, you're confessing to a friend or to, a, to a, your spouse maybe or whoever, a family member, and you finally say something and it all of a sudden it, you, it, you see it in a different way. Instead of it being something that's just internal, now it's been spoken to the light and now you can see it in a different perspective. And this is what we're talking about. I think confession is something that we do between us and God, certainly. He is the one we repent to, unless it's a sin against someone else, a brother or sister in Christ, or whoever it may be, that we would go to them and confess that sin. But sins of moral nature that are against God, we confess and repent those things to Jesus, right? That's why we have Jesus, right? And 1 Timothy 2, 5, for there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. But I think think there's also a place for us To confess to each other. And scripture seems to support this as well. In James chapter 5 verse 16. Therefore confess your sins to one another. And pray for one another. That you may be healed. Also Jesus. He's talking to his disciples. And he he says this weird verse. John 20 verse 23. If you forgive the sins of any. They are forgiven. If you will withhold forgiveness from any. It is withheld. So the idea is that I think that, that God has set it up so that there's times when we need to confess a sin to a human being, and not just to God. And even moral sins, things that are just between you and God. There are some sins that we have wrestled with our whole life, and maybe we've confessed and repented of those sins a billion times in our life, but we still feel the guilt. We still feel the shame. I'm going to suggest that perhaps the struggle you're having is not with the repentance. The struggle you're having is with the forgiveness and believing that that you are forgiven. And it's at times like that when I would encourage us, I think, to go to a brother or sister in the Lord who we know loves the Lord and verbalize our sin, confess our sin to that person. Not that that person is God, but they are representative of god as bonhoeffer says in his quote and it's not that they are the ones who give forgiveness but they are the ones who proclaim god's forgiveness to you it is some it is true that some have battled with sin for years and years and then finally took the step of confessing to a brother or sister in christ and that brother and sister in christ simply said you are forgiven And everything changed. Confession is part of us being a community together. It's not confession in a Catholic church sense, it's confession in a brotherly love sense. That we are in this together, and there's just something beautiful about being able to express your deepest, darkest sins to another individual in the body of Christ and to hear them say, I love you and you're forgiven. It's just something that opens us up. That vulnerability changes us. That, That recognition, I mean, it's, see, we have such a hard time taking the spiritual realm and understanding it in the physical realm. And so if we just spend all of our time confessing in this spiritual realm and never do it in a physical realm, we are missing out, we're missing out the connection that can come from that, that allows us then to live in the physical realm in a free way, in a way that is beyond what we have been able to do in the past. It, it's a way for us to take this spiritual reality and get to experience it physically, more fully. It's enjoying more fully this community that we have together, that God has given us in the family of God. This morning, I want to offer you an opportunity to confess your sins to someone. i have the elders come up here in a moment. and They're going to stand here on the floor in front of the stage across. And, and if you feel like the Spirit is directing you or calling you or been pushing on you during this message that you need to verbalize and get out a particular sin, then I want to encourage you to come. I want to encourage you to be bold and get, have some courage and stand up and come front and share your confession with one of the elders or myself this morning. And you're doing that not because you're seeking forgiveness. You're doing that because you're seeking the reality of that forgiveness. You want to live into that. And for whatever reason, you haven't been able to get past the guilt or the shame of that sin, and you just need to hear someone else say it. You need to know that someone knows. You need to know that someone has heard it, and they still love you, and they are able to pronounce forgiveness to you. Also want to open up, we talked about wisdom and guidance and discernment. The elders are here for that as well. If you'd like to come forward and you just have a decision that you're in the midst of trying to make and you, need, you haven't asked anybody, or maybe you have asked others, but you just need another perspective, then I encourage you to come as well and seek one of the elders or myself and just ask them, say, hey, just communicate the, the situation and, and see what happens. Now the elder may, get no, may not be able to give you an answer right then. Maybe they just feel like you know, they've got nothing for you at that moment and they just don't feel like the Spirit's giving them anything to say. And so they may say, thank you for sharing, let me continue to pray about it and I'll let you know if, when I hear something from the Lord. Or they may get something right away that would just be an affirmation to you and an encouragement to you and help you in discerning God's will for your life. Worship team, wants don't you come forward? Understand that... God has called us to be a community. Independence, being independent, is a barrier to community. We, we need to stop seeing each other as the competition and start seeing each other as companions in this journey. But also perfection is a boundary, is a wall against community as well living in deception, not being honest and upfront. And it's not that we have to confess to everybody we talk to, right, in every conversation. That's not what I'm suggesting, and you know that. But there, that, we, that we would have someone that we trust, that we know, that we would open to, up to and be vulnerable with. To confess our sins to and to receive the word of forgiveness. There's a thing called whole life confession. And I'm drawing a blank on the guy's name that wrote the book that talked about that, but maybe somebody knows it in here. But anyway, um, whole life confession is this that you have somebody, a friend of yours, a spiritual friend of yours, that you have confessed to them verbally every sin that you can ever remember committing in your life. The point of it, again, is not to receive forgiveness. The point of it is to be able to enjoy and live out that forgiveness because oftentimes even sins we committed as a kid will continue to have ramifications because of the guilt and shame from it for years to come. Even though we know in our head we're forgiven, we're struggling to live that out. This is the gift of the church. To be together, to be one, to be in community, to hear one another's sins, the confessions, and pronounce forgiveness pronounce love and acceptance and a sense of I know, what you, I know what you're feeling I've been there I'm a sinner too so while we sing the couple of closing songs that we have on the schedule just uh, and again invite the elders to come forward now and if you again if you feel like the spirit is, is prompting you to come and confess or to seek guidance this morning just encourage you to have the courage to do that stand up come forward pick one of the elders or myself and share what's on your heart. We'd love to to hear. We'd love to bless you this morning in whatever way we can for his glory. Let's go ahead and stand as we worship and as we commune together. In Jesus' name.